Uh, our scripture reading today is a uh, continuation of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 21, 5, 21 through 48. You have heard it. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Least your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than if, that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again you have heard that it was said of the, to those of old, but you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn, you, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall not love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray, to those, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. amen right there and go home but we're not sorry <laughs> turn with me in your bibles to proverbs chapter 4 proverbs chapter 4 a little over six years ago i uttered these words i justin take you charity to be my lawfully wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse 
for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. That vow, along with charities, sealed our marriage covenant. That wonderful day began a lifelong commitment to each other to love, cherish, serve, and very often to forgive one another. Marriage is never easy, and it is always work. Every day, the two of us must make a conscious decision to love, cherish, serve, and forgive one another. Too many times, one or all of these things do not happen. Sometimes one of us refuses to forgive. Sometimes one of us decides that it is no longer our responsibility to serve. During these times, our relationship does not function the way that it ought to function, the way that God intended it to function. It is during these times that arguments, bitterness, anger, strife, and all sorts of marriage problems creep in. Proverbs chapter 1 verses 14 through 19 describes something very similar. Solomon encourages his son, and God encourages us, to enter into a marriage covenant with wisdom. As we have seen, wisdom is not some mere set of principles to follow, but rather a person with whom we must have a relationship, namely Jesus Christ. It is only through a relationship with Jesus that it will be possible to be wise and to follow the instructions of the book of Proverbs. So today we'll see this passage break down into two major sections. Uh, verses 1 through 9, we'll see that we are called to have a relationship with wisdom. And then in verses 10 through 19, we'll, we'll see that we are, we are asked, we are called to make a decision between two roads. A decision between uh, wisdom and folly. To choose between wisdom and folly. Let's go ahead and read this passage together. And then we'll, uh, we'll open in a word of prayer. It says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. And be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. 
They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they, over what they stumble. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have to come to your word. Lord, this passage is a challenge for every single one of us. There are so many times that we fail you. There are so many times that we are unfaithful to you. God, I pray you would help us to hear the words of this passage, to hear what it teaches us, and submit to it. I pray this in your name. Amen. So we see in these first nine verses... We are begged, we are, we are told, we are, we are instructed to have a relationship with Jesus. Essentially, we are called to marry wisdom, to marry Jesus. Um, I know there's not, a, there's not a title for the sermon in, the, in your bulletin, um, but uh, I've, I've called the sermon, Will You Marry Me? So, uh, so if you wanted to fill that in your outline, you can. Um, we see in these first couple verses, this, 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 these 19 verses essentially are uh, two different lectures that are given to the Son. One is a reflection on, on, on uh, the, where Solomon is reflecting on a, a, a lecture that his father had given him. And the second one is a lecture from Solomon to his son. But we see that in this, in this first section, um, we see an, there's an introduction here uh, given to this first lecture. Um, and it gives, uh, it gives several words that, that all kind of connect together. We look at this verse, verses 1 and 2. It says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. Now, just in case we're, we're tempted to say, well, he's no longer talking about wisdom. He's talking about other things. If you remember correctly, these have all been terms, these, 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 these similar terms have all been used kind of as synonyms to uh, the word wisdom. We have instruction, insight, precepts, teaching. All four of these words have been used throughout the book of Proverbs the, thus far to be terms that mean basically wisdom. So he encourages us, be attentive, listen to my father's, to hear your father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight, that these are good precepts. Do not forsake this teaching. He also, in verse 1, uh, intensifies. He says, do not forsake, in the, in the, or, or hear a father's instruction, right? And, and, um, and he says to be, be attentive, but then in verse 2, it says, do not forsake. There's this intensification that takes place between verses 1 and 2. It, 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 it basically intensifies from just listen and hear it to don't forsake it. Um, listening does not help if there's not obedience. Isn't that right? Listening does not help if there's not obedience. If I tell my son, don't eat things off the floor, she does often. He hears me, but if he doesn't listen, what does that help? He's going to have fuzzies in his mouth. He's going to have plastic in his mouth. He's going to have whatever else he's picked up off the floor is going to be in his mouth. I also tell him, don't play with those power cords, right? 
if he continues to play with the power cords, what's going to happen? He's going to get electrocuted one of these days. Right? It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to, to obey, to really and truly listen. So we are told that listening is just not enough. There is also an obedience that must take place. The same could be, that I could say of Curtis could also be said of us, could it not? We are told in Scripture to take the gospel to the nations. We can hear that in our entire lives and never obey. We are told in Scripture to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yet if we never make that decision to do that, if we never obey, what good is that command to us? We're also told in Scripture, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But if we deprioritize assembling together with the body of Christ, we can hear it, but are we really listening? Then in this next couple verses, in verses 3 and 4a, we're invited into a tradition. This is beautiful. Have you ever been invited to come over with somebody's family? Like, you're, uh, you're a guest or something like that, and somebody else invites you into their family traditions? I've had this happen before, being in youth ministry, especially before I was married. Uh, people would say, hey, come over to our family gathering. It's pretty neat. It's really awkward to some degree. Right? But it can be pretty neat. Like, you become part of a family that's not really your own. Well, here we're actually invited into some family secrets, some family time. He says here, uh, When I was the son of my father, tender, the only one in the, side of my, in the side of my mother, so when I was a kid, my dad used to tell me. Right? He taught me and said to me. So we're invited into this conversation with, with the, with, between uh, Solomon and his father, David. We're invited into this conversation, invited into this teaching time. Notice just on this point alone that wisdom should be multi-generational. We can pass down patterns of foolishness to our children, like laziness, addiction, abuse, or passivity. But we can also pass down patterns of wisdom, like humility, good work ethic, and responsibility. Truly, either of these patterns can be broken in only one generation. You can teach your child wisdom, and they can choose a foolish path instead and break that, break that tradition that you've tried to pass down. You could also teach them foolishness. Maybe you were taught foolishness by your parents. And by the grace of God, you're able to break that pattern and move toward wisdom by, with, by meeting Jesus. But the case is... The goal of Christian parenting is to pass down godly wisdom so that this chain will not be broken. Our goal as Christian parents ought not be to merely raise Christian children, but Christian grandchildren as well. We'll come back to this here in a bit. Second half of, the, of verse 4 begins the teaching of the grandfather. It says, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not run away from the words of my mouth. Now, as a, as a side note, did Solomon listen to David? Sometimes, right? At first, we could say yes. In 1 Kings, 
we find out that when Solomon takes the throne, God shows up to him in a dream and says, Solomon, I will give you anything you want. What does his father taught him? Get wisdom, get insight. So what does Solomon do? He says, Lord, I want wisdom. And God says, you could have asked for money, you could have asked for power, and because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you those things too. He listened to his father. Now again, as we'll see, wisdom is also, uh, following the path of wisdom is also following a path that Solomon did not follow. Right? He brought in women that from, uh, from, other, from among the nations with their idols and, as well. He gave his heart to those idols. He gave his heart to those women who brought in idolatry. So ultimately, he did not follow wisdom completely. And he did not pass this down to his son very well, even though he attempted to do it here. His life did not reflect that, and his son Rehoboam followed in the unwise, foolish path of his father. And instead of listening to the wise counsel, he followed foolish counsel, which led to the division of the nation. It didn't take long, did it? We're told in, the, in 4b, uh, it says, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Keeping these commands, following wisdom, avoids risky behavior like addictions, disregarding governmental laws, or disregarding parents by something like maybe running into traffic. The life that will not heed authoritative counsel will often end early. So he tells us, keep my commandments and live. And not only just live as in you won't die early, but at the same time, what have we seen about these commands? It is this commands, this wisdom, this insight is ultimately a relationship with Jesus. And that relationship with Jesus brings ultimate true Verses 5 and 6 then encourages the son to be in a relationship with or to marry wisdom and never abandon or be unfaithful to her. Ultimately, again, this is a relationship with Jesus. He says, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget, do not turn away from the, mouth, from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. Is this not the same thing that we have in our marriage vows? Be faithful other. This same language, God says, be faithful to wisdom. Have a relationship, a covenant marriage type relationship with Jesus. And it's not, it's no joke then, it's no, it's no surprise then that the New Testament describes that relationship as a marriage. It calls us, the church, the bride of Christ. Right? Why? Solomon saw the same thing. God showed us the same thing here in the book of Proverbs. Then verse 7 makes an interesting statement. So you expect, when you come to the book of Proverbs, when you think of Proverbs, you think of profound statements, right? That are like, going to boggle your mind. You're going to think, I've never thought of that before. Look at this. Look at this statement here, this command. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Does that seem odd? That seems like the weirdest, like, you're like, I'm looking for profound things. You know how to, be, how to get wisdom? Get wisdom. So what in the world is he possibly talking about? What could this mean? What is, what is he uh, dealing with here? Really what he's talking about is the first step in being wise is making this faith decision to commit to wisdom. 
wisdom that is Jesus, who is the most important matter in all of life. So we must commit to him. Just like in chapter 1, so the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It is worshiping the Lord. A relationship with God is the first step in wisdom. Right here, the very beginning of wisdom is the same thing. It's a relationship with wisdom, a.k.a. Jesus Christ. A relationship with Jesus. Then verses 8 and 9 continue this, uh, this, this wonderful language of this intimate relationship with wisdom. It says, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. This first phrase here that my, my, uh, that my translation uh, translates as prize her highly. This is a... Uh, interesting phrase, uh, Bruce Waltke, one commentator, says this word could be translated as esteem, caress, or cuddle. Esteem, caress, or cuddle. It's this very intimate language. Prize her highly. Be close to her. Right? Husbands, does your wife feel close to you if she's sitting on the other side of the room? Not usually, right? For most women, they want to have that close time, right? They want to be together, right? We are called here to have a very deep, very personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. We often try to hold Jesus at arm's length. He can have some, maybe even most of our Sunday mornings. And if we're really spiritual, he can have our Bible study times during the week. Maybe it's Bible study at church. Maybe it's our quiet times. The rest of the week is mine. This is often how we live our lives. What I do at work is my business. How I spend my money is my business. How I treat my husband or my wife, that's my business. When you're distant with your spouse, this is typically symptomatic of a greater problem in the marriage. So, when we hold Jesus at arm's length, we ultimately have a problem with Jesus. Do not value him as we ought, and therefore we keep him out of those areas of our lives. That that is not having a relationship with wisdom. Keeping Jesus at an arm's length is not having a relationship with wisdom. Having a relationship with Jesus is to invite him into every nook and cranny of our lives and allowing him to mold us and shape us into his image. To strive to be obedient to him in every area at all times. We must also remember that our relationship with Jesus must have a multi-generational goal in mind. I said we're going to get back to this. We need to keep in mind that this is multi-generational. So I ask you parents and grandparents, do you read your Bible to your children and your grandchildren? Do you pray with them? Do you bring them to church? Do you have family devotional time with them? Your, have you shared your testimony with them? Have you let them see you worship Jesus in congregational gatherings? Have you let them see you participate in the Lord's Supper or in baptism? Have you shared Jesus with them so that they can know Him intimately as well? Do your children and grandchildren know that you value Jesus? Or do they hear more about how much you value your job or your country? Yes, teach your children and grandchildren how to be honest and 
how to fight anxiety and how to handle money and how to, get, how to avoid get-rich-quick schemes, how to receive a rebuke, how to lovingly give a rebuke, how to complete tasks like chores and a thousand other things. But teach them about Jesus first. Apart from Jesus, those things are merely moral truisms that may help them during this life but will not be enough to save them for eternity. Guys, hear this. A Christian man who has taught his children to be honest or to love their country but has neglected to share the gospel with his children or to teach them to value their relationship with Jesus has failed as a parent. We must have a relationship with Jesus. We must marry wisdom. So I ask you, are you a Christian? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Now think about that relationship. If you say, I am a Christian, I am a believer. I know for sure I'm a believer. Let me ask you, where is that relationship on a scale of 1 to 10? Our next section here calls us to make a choice between wisdom and folly. Make a choice between wisdom and folly. Verses 10 through 15 presents to us two different ways that we can follow. This is a, uh, this is a similar, similar throughout Scripture, and even the early church uses similar language of the two ways. There is only two roads or ways, right? There's only two. Uh, the wise, righteous path that leads to life and the foolish, wicked path that leads to death. There is no third middle way. Let's look at this passage here. Look at verse 10. It says, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Jonathan Aiken explains this. He says, the path that you progressively walk reveals whom you are embracing. Your daily life decisions reveal whether you are following Jesus or walking away from him. The fact that you cannot control your temper with your children, you constantly want to argue with your co-workers, you go in and out of dumb dating relationships that you spout off at your parents or you cannot follow through on schoolwork has everything to do with Jesus. It reveals that you've gotten off the path of wisdom and are walking down the foolish path. It reveals that you aren't holding on to wisdom, that you aren't holding on to Jesus. Verse, th verse 13 tells us to keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. The fool, on the other hand, is unable to see the connection between their foolishness and its consequences. In verse 13, it says to hold on to wisdom because she will guard you, right? If you, if you follow wisdom, there is a consequence. She'll protect you. A fool can't see that there's a connection between his actions and his consequences. 
They do not see their laziness, that their laziness has, has led to them not having a job. They think that their employer mistreated them. The fool does not see the connection between his pornography problem and the train wreck of his marriage. He thinks his wife wasn't responsive as, as responsive as she should have been. The fool doesn't see how his actions led him to stumble. On the other hand, the wise person recognizes the consequences of his actions and then avoids those pitfalls. Verse 14 and 15 continue here. It says, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Solomon gives his son a stern warning to avoid the way of the wicked. In the book of Judges, we see that doing what is right in your own eyes leads to death and destruction over and over again in the book of Judges. So it will be in the rest of the book of Proverbs. Chapters 10 through 31 will describe that there are things that seem like the right course in life, but they are not. It will seem like withholding discipline from your child is loving, but it isn't. It will seem like hoarding your possessions will give you financial security, but it won't. It will seem like Holding your tongue instead of rebuking a friend who is going down the wrong path is the easier and better thing to do at the time. After all, we're not supposed to judge, are we? But that isn't wise, and it isn't loving. Rather, we see in verses 16 and 17 that doing what is right in our own eyes follows the way of the wicked. Look at this. It says, For they, this is the wicked, cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. Whew. That on its own. The way of the wicked plans and devises ways to bring people to destruction, and they cannot sleep until they've made that happen. Verse 17, For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Those on the way of evil eat, drink, and sleep foolishness and wickedness. They want others to join them. The foolish person wants you to follow them in laziness. They want you to follow them in gossip. They want you to follow them in quick-temperedness. They, um, they want you to follow them into sexual sin. They want you to follow them into all sorts of evil. Verse 18 and 19, though, shows the contrast of these two paths. Path of the righteous is like the light of the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness; they do not know over what they stumble. Those on the path of wisdom will see more and more of the path, and walk in greater and greater wisdom, until the day they are made truly wise in the presence of Jesus. But the way of the wicked is a path of deep darkness, where they do not know what they stumble over. You ever tried to get ready in the morning in the dark? Oftentimes I get up before my, the rest of my family gets up and, and, and sometimes I'm in the dark. I usually use my cell phone to try to light my path a little bit. But it's difficult to get, to get ready in the dark, right? I've, I've, gotten to, I've done this before where you, if you ever get, get up in the middle of the night to, to have to use the restroom or something and you slam your leg on your bedpost, that's the worst. And then you get this massive bruise, right? 
Isn't that, isn't that though exactly what it's like to walk in foolishness? You're walking in the dark. You have no idea what's going on. Then you bump into something. You're like, wait, what happened? I thought, well, I thought I, what, are you, what are you talking about? Right? They do not know over what they stumble. Foolishness is trying to live your life in the darkness. You can't see things the way that they really are. So you keep ruining your life and falling into, min- into misery. But Jesus is the light of the world. He is wisdom. It's only through a personal relationship with him that we can truly, truly see. As we started out, when your marriage falls on hard times, it's typically because there's a lack of communication. The close connection that is required for a marriage to work just isn't there. The remedy then is to actually sit down and talk with that person. Perhaps sin needs to be confessed or feelings discussed, but at the end of the day, there must be forgiveness and restoration. In our relationship with Jesus, the same is true. If we're not spending time in prayer, how can we expect to have a functioning relationship with Jesus? We can go to, we can, uh, we can have amazing devotional times. We can raise our hands in worship. We can go to Bible studies and even teach Bible classes. But if you can't control your tongue, you can't clean your room when your mother tells you to, you nag your husband constantly, you cannot take out the trash for your wife, it reveals that you have a problem with your relationship with Jesus. If you're choosing the evil ways of foolishness, we must confess our sin and turn back to him. The reality is that we all pursue the way of foolishness far too often. Thankfully, Jesus has become wisdom for us so that we can be wise through him. Do not continue to walk away from Jesus. We must run back to him. Now I ask you a question. If you're here today, you're not a believer. If you've been hearing this and you say, you know what? My whole path is foolishness. I don't have a relationship with Jesus, uh, with, with wisdom. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want you to think about this. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? I'm not asking, does your mom tell you that you have a relationship with Jesus? I've been in, uh, I've been a youth, I was a youth pastor for eight years. There were students many times that I saw that were, that were completely foolish all the time. And you talk to their parents and say, they're good kids. Like, are you kidding me? I'm, are you seeing the same kid I'm seeing? <laughs> right? Well, they're a good kid. Parents are not often the best judges of their children. That's just true. I think Curtis is perfect. Right? But he's a little sinner. He just is. Parents are not often the best judges, so let me ask you, are you a Christian? Not does your mom say you're a Christian, not was your grandma a Christian, not do you go to church, are you a Christian? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you really a follower of him? On last Monday, we talked about sin. We talked about the fall. There is sin there's consequence, and that means we have a need. My sin is deep. My sin is dark. That ultimate consequence for my sin is, should be, 
as, as Amber talked about, if God was fair, I would be spending an eternity in hell right now. Because that's what I deserve. But Jesus Christ died for my sin. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and Satan and death so that we can have life. If you are a human being, you are in sin, you, there are consequences to your sin, and you have a deep and desperate need for Jesus. Thankfully, He is wisdom for us. We may walk in foolishness, but He was wisdom for us. As the song we sang earlier, as we're about to sing again, He took sin for us so that we might be saved. Let me ask you, if you're here today and you're not a believer, why are you waiting? The consequences are eternal and the need is deep. Why are you waiting? If you believe that you are not a, that you are not a Christian, you want to make that uh, certain today, we're about to enter into a time of invitation. I want to invite you Come and talk to me. I'd love to share with you how you can know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you uh, are ready to join our church. You've been coming for a while. You're ready to join us in fellowship. Uh, use that as an opportunity. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I walk in foolishness so much. I need to repent and ask Jesus to forgive me and, re and, and rekindle the relationship with Jesus, with Jesus. Come back to him. This altar, these steps we call it an altar, is available to you if you want it. You can sit in your seat and take care of, your, take care of business with the Lord as well. So as we move into our time of invitation, let's, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity we have to, to study your word. Lord, it is such a challenge. As I look at my life, again, I, I, I often pursue the path of a fool, but Lord, that path is only filled with destruction. God, I pray that you would help me to walk the path of wisdom. God, thank you for a relationship with you. Lord, I pray if there's someone here who does not know you as Savior, that they would no longer find excuses why they should not accept you, but Lord, they should, that they would uh, humble themselves before you and they would make that decision. I pray as we enter into this time of invitation that you would have your will and your way. In your name, 